Welcome to this bonus episode of United Ireland. This episode is a recording of a recent live podcast uh, we recorded myself and Andrea with Connor Habib uh, of the podcast Against Everything with Connor Habib. And it was at the National Concert Hall and we were discussing utopias, utopian processes and our project Utopia Ireland. So please enjoy this chat with an audience who also contribute about how to instigate utopian processes in your own life, how to imagine new, brilliant, fun things and asking yourself and each other, what do you want? I'll start. And basically, <laughs> at some point last year, um, Una had released a solo episode of United Ireland that was called Dublin Utopia. And right around the same time, I put out an episode of Against Everyone with Conor Abib that was called From Global Crisis to Utopia. And I thought, well, this is weird. So I did what anybody would do, which is I called Una and I said, um, hey, would you like to turn Ireland into a utopia together? And she said yes. Um, and so we had been working on that project, um, which is ambitious, I'd say, um, ever since. Now, um, one of the reasons why we both had this impulse was that we saw everybody cooperating with each other, everybody committing to acts of mutual aid, um, washing their hands, um, social distancing, buying groceries for their neighbors, all that kind of stuff. And we thought, well, this is really great for this moment, but does this actually touch the social conditions which have created the potential for something like this, the potential for a virus to be a disaster? So is it actually addressing the structural concerns? Because if everything was kind of all right, culturally, politically, economically, then when something like this happens, an unprecedented world event, it's held and embraced by structures that can take it, that are flexible, that care for the people that are engaged with them. And so we thought, okay, so how could we get people involved in some sort of easy way to start building a better world? We did something, um, the first part of our project is a website that's called utopiaireland.ie. Well, that's the site, yes. <laughs> and, um, and basically on there we said, and this is June of last year, I think, um, we just said, what's something that you, what's an idea you have of utopia? What's your vision of an ideal Ireland? This may sound familiar to some of you because a couple months ago, Fine Gael released a very similar project using very strikingly similar uh, wording. But um, anyway, we put it out there that we wanted people to give us positive responses. So instead of saying something like, we don't want any more police, that's where my mind goes because I'm from the US. Um, we don't want any more police, we'd say, we want communities that can handle conflict resolution with love and care for each other in understanding ways and contextualized ways. So it, we were encouraging people to give positive visions of the world. Without any real marketing, I mean, we did a few. We did a few things here and there. We got over a thousand answers, um, and some of them were very rich. I mean, some of them would be pages long if we put them just into pages. And some of them were simple ideas. Some of them were like, we just want awnings um, because we, we want awnings on the street because it rains in Dublin, um, and we want to be able to sit outside um, underneath awnings. Some were um, much more. Uh, you know, structural changing uh, propositions. And then some were, you know, just completely like, I want to be able to talk to animals, you know? So anything, and we encouraged all of that because we wanted people to engage with the imagination in a positive way first. And we wanted everybody to be able to answer, not just to self-select for people that were into Una's thing or my thing, but rather all sorts of people. This was all inspired by us thinking, well, we want to work towards utopia, but we don't want to create a state. Um, that's what people usually do when they create utopias, is that they just create a new kind of state, a new political party, a new political system, and it either ends up being so small scale that it doesn't sort of echo out, 
or it ends up being like some sort of totalitarian disaster. So we didn't want that. What we wanted was to create a process, a dynamic process that once it was kind of enacted by people, it was always reorienting us back to the idea that we could make the world better. And so what would that process look like? And so that's where, <laughs> that's where for me, as an example, this thing called social threefolding came in. So this is my part of it. Social threefolding was this system or this dynamic process developed by this late 19th century, early 20th century occultist, philosopher, architect, beekeeper, et cetera, et cetera, one of those people, Rudolf Steiner. And basically, he said there are three spheres that human beings engage with. There's the cultural sphere, which is relating to the individual. It's the arts, it's sexuality, it's aesthetics, it's uh, dancing, music, all that kind of stuff. There's the political sphere, which governs anytime two or more people get together, how can they be treated equally? How can they find equality when they meet each other? And then there's the economic sphere, which includes everybody, which is the means of transaction, of course, how things get transported here and there, and so on and so forth. And that these spheres are always trying to dominate one another, and always one or two get left out. I'm sure you can think of here the dominance of the economic sphere, the dominance of the political sphere. I'm going through this really, really quickly, so don't worry if it just sounds like, oh, that's something I'd like to look up later, but I don't know what the hell Connor's talking about. So anyway, um, the idea being that if we strengthen each of these spheres in their own right, when they come together with kinds of ambassadorial meetings, this sort of dynamic uh, process will happen. Now, like I said, I'm not going to go into that too much because it ends up being rather complicated. And this is something that's informing us as we take the Utopia Ireland.ie project further. Um, whereas right now, we're just focusing on the imaginative, uh, inspirational, positive view of culture. But I think, that's, I think that's where we're going. I mean, and we're continuing to have these conversations about threefolding. And of course, we're not sticking to it. We're not adhering to anybody's plan. But I wanted to say one more thing. One of the things with utopia or revolution or big structural changes that people are looking for, and when there's an opportunity for them like there is now, because things have been so shaken up in the cultural sphere, the political sphere, and the economic sphere by this global crisis, is that people end up re, um, recreating the conditions that were bad for them in the first place. So as an example, um, or maybe a quote that's helpful for this, I turn to this French philosopher and psychoanalyst, Jacques Lacan, who in May of 68, when there were all these student revolutions, these students went to him and they were like, because he was a sort of bigwig philosopher, whatever that, to an American, that sounds weird. There's this really popular philosopher. Um, but in France, there was a really popular philosopher. And they went to him, they said, uh, Lacan, what should we do here? And he said, you're not going to like my answer. And they said, why? And he said, because you don't want revolution. What you want is new masters. In other words, and we can see this again and again in history, when we try to make the world better, we usually end up just creating another version of the bad shit that was already in place and just switching out the faces, creating new masters. And that can be through any of the systems that we turn to, um, any of the old systems that we turn to, capitalism, socialism, libertarianism, any of these. And so, again... Una and I didn't want to do that. We wanted to get ourselves out of that cyclical process of replacing one master with another master with another master and instead create a completely new process that we could lean back into, of which Utopia Ireland is the first step. Yeah, and I think the, the, this, is all, this will all become more apparent throughout the evening in terms of how you can begin uh, participating in the process. And the, the word process is really, really important because what I found about when we were talking about these utopian discussions, when you actually strip away ideology or the, you know, the fandom of political parties or um, all of the kind of stuff that we think are alternatives you be and start to offer positive ideas and ways of being, it actually kind of starts to change the way that you think. And instead of constantly retreating and turning back to the like debate or mm -hmm. a certain type of discourse that is really demoralizing actually, because it becomes this like constant cyclical town hall of everybody giving out about all of the shit that we know that is wrong. 
and in the same way that it was given out about 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, yeah. when you start to engage with the utopian process thinking, you're actually creating a different kind of mode of being and that what you're coming to are not solutions, but they're just these ideas that instigate then back in your personal life or real life or whatever, whatever like what would actually work better. And the question that we constantly ask is, what do you want? Do you want and people aren't necessarily asked that. We're told there's vast generalizations made about demographics in this country, geographically in terms of age, in terms of class. But nobody ever really asks, what do you want? Once we start asking ourselves that personally, it's actually a hard question to even ask yourself because you can just be like, I don't know, I'm in an existential crisis <laughs> constantly. But once you start a- asking yourself that, that flips things a little bit. Yeah, and just to take it from that, I mean, what a big part of what we're trying to do is something that the feminist philosopher Kathy Weeks says, it's the time for critique is over. It's now the time for proposition. It's not that critique doesn't help us, but we need to do more than criticize things and come up with critiques. We need real propositions. And to that end, if you want to bring it into your personal life, I think one of the best ways you can do it is say, what would I like my day to look like? What does an ideal day in my life look like? And I think it's kind of exciting that we have Andrea here to pick that up because she's given a talk on just that. Like, how do I shift my uh, thinking from what is it that I don't want, um, what do I want to get rid of in my life, or what kind of job do I want, and rather into what do I want my day to look like, what do I want my life to look like, and she's done that quite well and interestingly in her personal life, so do you want to take, take it, away? it away? Yeah. Um, So I come to the question of utopia in a much more uh, basic level, I suppose you could say, in terms of like every every philosophical crisis you engage in, um, which was a a trauma in my life, I stepped back and said, what do I want my life to look like? And realized that I had to create the life I wanted to live, that I couldn't rely on people providing that for me. I went and did a year traveling and found myself, but also found a lot of answers into what my life, what the life I wanted to create looked like. And I had been working in PR for so long and my whole life had been about making people want things that maybe they didn't want. Um, And that's a hard pill to swallow when you start to kind of look around you at the effects on the environment, the effects on the world, the effects on other people, beauty standards, and all the other issues that come from a commercially driven um, industry. So when I stripped back then, what creating the life I wanted to live looked like, I wanted to create a business that would allow me to live my life because obviously I can't create a, a new structure. Um, maybe I can after this night when we... Uh, <laughs> work through our uh, processes but for me I had to figure out how I could fit my life and my ideals and how I wanted to live into a system that existed so I created a business that was um, something I had no experience in and something that um, felt very different from selling things it was selling an experience um, and, but it was also something that could be a community hub that could be um, a place for people to come and sh- like get rid of any issues they had in, in terms of body issues or that anyone who came into that space could leave feeling great about themselves. And that's kind of where Trop Pop began and my journey What's then. What's it called, Andrea, again? <laughs> so, www.tropicalpopicals. So then I set up this space and my journey only started there. It kind of evolved and developed. And um, as it went on, I kind of looked... I, at the start, I was asked if I was going to expand and if I was going to, I had loads of uh, venture capitalists ask if they could invest and if I could do like um, franchises and all that jazz. And I, like, obviously at the start, I've just come from the PR world. I'm like driven by uh, capitalism because I exist within it. Um, but as I kind of looked at it, I was like, that is not the world that I want to be part of. And that I, like, why would I open more nail bars and communities that weren't my community? Why would I not let the people of that community not provide the services? And when you look back on the historical way the communities were formed, it was that the people within the community provided for each other and it was a personal connection. And I couldn't make that right by rolling out this chain of nail bars. And as, uh, this kind of formulated in my mind. It was 
ideas that weren't new, but were new to me, I suppose, and looked at, develop, at developing this into a talk for a TED talk, a TEDx talk. And it was about escaping the economy and more and how we define success and how we're stuck in this world where success is measured by how big you are, how much you can expand, how much you can accumulate. And I was like, that is not the world I want to be part of. I want to be able to create a business that sustains my life and the life I want to live every day. And when I had to do that, then I had to look at what does my life look like that I want every day. Um, and that included holidays, that included uh, late nights or no l early mornings, God no. Um, and it, and when you start, I started to put all these pieces together. Um, and then I kind of looked at when the thing that was sold back to us as success, when I did a, I hosted this thing for millionaires or billionaires or trillionaires or whatever um, with the Web Summit. And they were all these people who were working nonstop for uh, with no, like, they were like, I don't spend any money. I'm in this room. I'm just, I want to make, get really big. I want everyone to know my name. And obviously the ego that goes along with that. And I was like, what are you doing all this for? And it was like the legacy that I want to leave behind. I was like, you're doing all this for a life that you're not living, but actually when, for when you're dead. And I was like, you need, like, how can you look at making a life that is present and each day counts because the future is only in our imagination. And if it wasn't, anyone here would be able to say that they've been there, but it, it doesn't exist. So all we have is now. So I really started to focus on that and to see if I could create a day that every day at the end of it, that I could say that that was the best day I've had. And how could I fill that day with experiences and um, pleasure and focusing on the importance of pleasure because that's so often looked on with shame and uh, that it's something that we are we, we should be working all the time to, to have a release from that work. Why are we not working on pleasure all the time so that we can have be alive and to live our lives? Um, so then... Trop Pop allowed me to kind of have the, the economic side, but also provide a platform for things that I was passionate about. And the more time I didn't spend doing HR or admin or like making loads of money meant I could be part of projects and beliefs and campaigns that I believed in that I could feel that I was um, part of creating a better world for uh, for everyone here. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my vision of utopia and I try to live it every day. And I kind of suppose at the end of each day, like I don't cognizantly have these processes, but at the end of each day, I kind of look back on the day and go, what did I do today? What was not joyful and how can I change that? So that tomorrow I can get in, I can start the day by living the, the best day of my life again tomorrow. Um, and that's how we're here. I yes. love, I love, I just want to jump in and say yeah. something about that. I love actually, so the, the guy that I brought up before, Rudolf Steiner, he has this thing where you do a life review before you go to bed each night, and you were doing that, where each day you sort of play the day backwards, and when you land on something that is sort of, that you might judge yourself for, rather than judge yourself for it, which I'm sure you probably did sometimes anyway, Never. but yeah, <laughs> but uh, you just sort of look at it with the spirit of equanimity, and you say, could I do better on that? And then you just keep going back throughout the day until you hit the morning. And I think, so in that, there is this uh, really beautiful spiritual core just in even that moment of reviewing it at the end of the night. 100%. And I think the key to it is going back to the question that I always go back to, what is the meaning of life every morning, every night? What is our point of being here? And that can feel overwhelming, when, especially when you mix it into a utopian question. But when you actually think what is the meaning of life what is my point of being here and what what am I doing and does everything I've done that day fall into the point of life and obviously that's coming from a very privileged position where I'm able to do that and say, and be able to do the job that I am filled with joy every day but for me the point of life is to be filled with joy and to share joy and to ch exchange energy so if that's what I think the point of life is how can I keep to continue that on and on yeah thank excellent you. um one of the things that has happened and that I want to talk about before we get into uh, the next phase of the utopian process is... With our special guests. With our special guests. I'm so excited for the special guests. I am guest too. Is what happens when everything falls apart. And at some point in your life, maybe it's already happened, like 
shit falls apart in ways that you can never predict, um, that you can't plan for, that you don't have any experience of, and that you cannot answer the questions that they throw up. Obviously, this has happened um, for one of the first seismic collective times globally in our lifetime um, with the onset of the pandemic. And I think a strange thing happened to people in those first weeks where the world, even though it was super scary and everybody was fearful, and of course, loads of people died, you know, this mortality, we were being met with the, the edge of that horizon, which is, you know, terrifying, um, is that there was a sense of vibrancy in the colours of the world that we were walking around in. And that people were starting to notice weird echoes of childhood and even the quality of the air and the sounds and the fidelity of birds and all this kind of stuff. That, to some degree, is shock. Um, You know, this heightened sense of, you know, sensory overload that we're experiencing. But when when things fall apart... Even though there can be moments of devastation, there are also moments of resetting and potential. Um, Andrea, at the outset of the pandemic, we had loads of conversations where you were kind of freaking out, going, why didn't I prioritize money more? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because when a disaster happens, it's like, how do I fucking keep afloat, right? Um, I think loads of people had those uh, feelings as well the lack of security and the, the rug pulled from everyone. But what also happens is when things fall apart, people begin to reassess, reevaluate, la la la. But a Tetris comes far down the line that people start putting shapes in different places, which is what we're kind of seeing now. I think a lot of the stuff that's going on now with people is the echo or the consequence of that initial existential crisis, whether people are breaking up relationships, starting new relationships, quitting their jobs, moving. Obviously, there's loads of economic forces that are dictating where people move or where they live or where they work or whatever, how they can work. But those kind of things are actually dropping into place. So how can you control and make good outcomes or whatever from that sense of collapse? Hmm. Um, One of the things that I found at the outset of the the pandemic was that I was going through a a time of really, really terrible anxiety. And it's it's one of the main moments of my life where I really understood what that was. I never really understood what it was. And this was kind of fueled by really uh, horrific panic attacks that would sometimes last for an entire day. And when everybody started panicking, my anxiety and panic attacks stopped because it was as if the like, you know, the nervous system of the world had kind of reached this equilibrium that everybody was freaking out. So all of a sudden you were kind of like almost weightless in everyone else's fear. But the echo of the pandemic for me and the freak freak outs people were having were easier to deal with because I had a, a, a trauma related to health in my life. I'd had a cancer diagnosis a few years previously. And when I thought I was going to die during that time, which was a real, very real fear, I began to consider when I'm out of this, if I get out of this, not, and that wasn't even like what I'm going to you know, seize every day and all that kind of shit. It was like, where am I going to go back to? What do I want to go back to? Be that a particular place or someone's gaff or a relationship or a friendship or a state of being. And what kept coming back, probably says a lot about me, was just parties, basically. (laughs) Just like being at parties and how you can't, well, I mean, I spent most of my 20s doing it, but you can't be at a party all the time. (laughs) But there are qualities of that that you're talking about, that joy that you can like drop into your actual life. Um, And so, so the utopian idea seems kind of bananas to be, dropping into where the utopian process might seem a bit incongruous dropping into a moment where everybody's talking about actually it's, we're in this dystopia made real but it's the perfect time because things are falling apart and only the forces 
that have an interest in the same power structures that were wrecking everyone with the pandemic of burnout and so on and inequity previous to that will be interested in putting the things back together as they were. So in this moment, we can actually jimmy in the cracks for a little while and begin to start thinking in different way and enacting new processes. Um, and I think at this point, then, it's a good idea to invite the mystery guest. Yeah. Can I, I just want to say one more thing about yeah. what she said before we do that, which is, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about a lot was that the event of the shock of seeing the things that went on, that's in all of us. So even if we're sort of carrying out the motions of living in the world the way we used to at the outset or before the outset of the pandemic and we're like, oh, we'll go back to normal and all that kind of stuff. There's no escaping the fact that we all experience this and that it, we carry it around in us in weird ways. So even if it's not apparent that there's going to be some sort of political, cultural, economic overhaul of things, we've all had an inner overhaul of our psyches. And there's no way to walk away from that. Like, we've all been touched by it, whether you knew somebody who got sick or not, whether your favorite restaurant uh, closed down for good, whether your own business closed down for good, or whether you're relatively untouched. And so I think, I just wanted to bring that into the conversation, because I think sometimes it can seem like, well, yeah, but we're not all necessarily concerned with some sort of giant, you know, world stage overhaul. I would actually just be relieved if we were just able to go to a restaurant and sit at a table of 10 and not give a fuck. But the thing is, it's happened to all of us. It's in all of us now, this event, and that's inescapable. And so I think it, it then falls to us to decide what we want to make of that in our own psyches, if not the world. So maybe we don't choose a world project, we choose a psychic project, or we choose a business project, or an artistic project, or whatever. Um, shall we talk about the guests? Okay, so our special mystery guest of our podcast is someone who's, I don't think, ever been on our podcast before, no. right? No, it's pretty amazing. So if you all just look um, to your left, uh, right now. Okay, and now look to your right. And now look behind you. <laughs> surprise, surprise. It's you. Um, <laughs> we're, we really decided that we, rather than have some utopia expert professor or something like that on to, to talk to, as we often have these guests on our show, we wanted to have you join in this dynamic utopian process with us. So to that end, um, we'd love for you to talk with each other. We'll take about 10 minutes about a utopian idea or your vision for a utopian Ireland and um, discuss what that might be using this principle of a positive image. So again, instead of, I don't want this, how can you change that into a positive statement that's not based on just a rejection of something that's already in place? It's, sometimes it's really easy, and sometimes it's really hard. And I, I seriously, if your idea is flying cars, like, fucking say the flying cars, because I think that would be great. <laughs> but, but also, um, so don't constrain yourself to what is in the real this is um, your engagement with your imagination and your vision. I do think that sometimes, because a lot of you are sitting with people that you know, the temptation to just turn it into a joke or whatever, that would definitely be there for me because it's a nervousness-making question sometimes for people, um, envisioning a better world, envisioning what that could be. But come up with a small idea then or come up with the hugest idea you can think of. Of course, humor's fine as well. I think um, what we also really want you all to do is um, see if you can interact with somebody that you don't know in this process as well. So if you are sitting or standing next to someone, um, if you choose to stand, turn to your, what did we say? Your left? Yeah. Bring someone in from your left or from behind you 
Um, and obviously in the comfort, your own comfort with social distancing and all that and include them, bring them into discussion. And if you're in the leftmost seat or you're by yourself, turn to the people behind you or in front of you and say, you know, what your ideal is. Now, just to be clear, we'd love you all to engage with each other and talk with each other and say your positive vision of utopia or a positive vision of something that would make Ireland better, more exciting, without reference to the negative, including the people around you. There, uh, am I leaving anything else? No, that's perfect. I know that these kind of exercises can make people sweat, clench their fists, go, I'm absolutely not doing that. I cannot believe that it's not like Mary Lou McDonald or something. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but it is very important in this room, beginning this utopian week and this utopian process in the National Concert Hall, that we just make a decision to shed all inhibitions, shame, nervousness, awkwardness, anxiety, whatever. None of those things are real. None of them are real. I'm an awkward turtle. I hate talking to strangers. I just like don't like it at all. And I would prefer to sit in the corner in this context. I think the word I said was that I would vomit if I had to do vomit. <laughs> vomit is good. So Andrew vomit won't be good. joining us what for this. What about no vomiting? No, but, but it's just really important to just make a decision right now to just go, actually, that's a load of bollocks. Yeah. I'm just not having those feelings. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Like, it's, it's totally fine. All right. So everybody just start wrapping up your big ideas and your little ideas. Finish them up. And we'll come back to this room of all of us who have done this thing. Oh, you know, we were a little worried that people weren't going to want to talk to strangers. Then we're like, oh, right, fuck. People really want to talk to strangers. It's been a long time. Um, so thank you all for uh, making the room so lively. Um, so now we're going to get you all to talk with us. Now, the event is being recorded, so don't say your name. Um, Unless you want to. Yeah, well then, yeah, but then don't we have to get them to like sign some GDPR <laughs> shit or something like that? I don't know. Going to take I'm from America, I don't know. Yeah. Going... <laughs> now, in fairness, we did GDPR the shit out of Utopia We, we did, out of utopiaireland.ie, yeah. But um, we're going to ask you to just talk about the ideas that have come up, the positive visions for Utopian Ireland. Um, and we're going to have a roving mic and the podcast is obviously being recorded as it is a uh, live podcast event. Don't know if anyone's noticed that. And we will be putting it out. So just bear that in bear that in mind. Like if you if you if you um, you know it, it's all grand. Like you've nothing to worry about. All of your ideas will be great and really smart. Um, and and if we can, not, that's okay as well. Yeah, we can make your voices sound like those scary witness protection voices. Yeah. <laughs> My idea is more balloons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we, we'll, fig we'll figure that out. Um, so for the next part of this, considering that you've overcome the second very large <laughs> hurdle to social anxiety by talking to strangers, which is really quite commendable, we're going to ask people to start coming forth with your ideas and then we can talk about them. Yeah. So who's, who's doing the microphone? Hi. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, so... It would be awesome if someone was the person that started because that is always like what you wait for and wait for and then it like kicks it off. So someone be the person that starts. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you. We're not going to applaud for all of you, but thank you. Hello, my name is Mary. Uh, <laughs> Do we just say one idea? And yeah. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, I, I'm sorry. Before, just to interrupt, we want to just create a space here where people aren't engaging in sort of disagreement with each other. It doesn't seem like that would happen anyway, but don't like, like knock someone else's idea down or pick it apart or whatever. If you want to respond to someone else's idea and make sure you talk to the whole room, not just to us, if you respond to someone else's idea and use it as a springboard or say, oh, that makes me think of this, that's awesome. Please do that. But not getting in this spirit of disagreement. And no one will gets to disagree with you because you're going first, or maybe everybody does, I don't know. But anyway, go, go ahead, Mary. <laughs> 
Uh, so we spoke about a lot of things, and some of them were kind of real world, could be fixed quite easily. Um, and then we kind of spoke about kind of more utopian visions of Ireland. And one that we loved was a bullet train to anywhere in Ireland, including Donegal. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, of I'd say one of the most commonly yeah. mentioned thing in the over a thousand responses that we got to the Utopia Ireland thing was around rail infrastructure and transportation. In yeah. So whichever really second if there's second some kind of like wasn't it? benign autocrat who's really big on trains really wants to come to power <laughs> in Ireland, then that's it. <laughs> that is the ticket. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for you. that. Excellent. Thank you. And, and feel free to respond to that or to bring your own idea to the fore or talk about what your group talked about. Yes. I love Donegal. Correct. Correct. Who's next? Yes. Great. Hi. Yes. Uh, I think we kind of zeroed in on places and playfulness, I'd say. Um, so thinking about taking spaces that are unused, derelict spaces, and transforming them into sites for community building through acts of play, through incorporation of therapy animals, um, spaces for honoring and incorporating elderly individuals who might not have other opportunities to engage in uh, transgenerational conversations, and uh, swimming, more swimming places. Mm. Right, love that. Thank you. I love the transgenerational conversations. That's why I go to this gay bar that people refer to as Jurassic Park, because it's all older guys. That's why I go there. Yeah. Um, so, you had your hand up, yeah? Uh, we had a few ideas, but I put my hand up, so I'll let them do theirs. Um, sort of ties in with Mary's point over there. Um, <laughs> I reckon, that, well, actually, the government has taken some steps towards decentralization by spreading out a lot of the public sector. And I think we could follow that up with spreading out our communities around the country, not have everybody flock into Dublin, build up more towns and cities with their own self-sufficiency, and then they can stop using the excuse of there's not enough people there to build infrastructure because mm. there will be people there and we can build trains and roads. Yes. And, um, Very like Wayne's World. If you build it, they will come. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and also should equalize property prices if it actually happens. So could solve a few problems. Maybe. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Oh, thanks. That's kind of cool. Um, hello. Uh, we talked, we have quite a... I guess we'll say modest. Um, my pal beside me here said we had quite a modest vision, which was around... Uh, equal access to housing, healthcare, education for everybody, and that we should ban billionaires and we should make Dolly Parton in charge of the UN. Yes. <laughs> what was your the idea around how you solve wealth inequity is just make money depreciate with value the minute it's in somebody's hand. Yeah, make, make money lose value instead of accumulate value over time. Yeah. Thanks. Housing is obviously one we all agreed on, a right to housing in Ireland, which I think would be radical. Uh, that everyone had a space of their own and a future where institutions and institutionalization is abolished, is not a reality on this island from direct provision to emergency accommodation and the whole legacy of that in Ireland. Um, and also that sex is talked about without shame on this island and that we can educate freely um, on it and have conversations about sex um, without that very long legacy of shame. So that is an idea. Awesome. Hi, um, I've got an additional one, which is quite a personal one from the group, which is just um, Ireland is quite a different place to when I was in the late 80s, a young mixed race um, kid from a Muslim family. And then I, as I grew up, kind of was always the only in each situation I go to, bar, club, like old man bar, that sort of thing. And I think I probably am again in this room. So I just want to make Irish places, including 
we talked about swimming places, I talked about the 40 foot, just places more inclusive to see today's Ireland everywhere. Mm. Thank you. Hi, thank you. Um, we had, well, first of all, my idea was like when sparked in my head, had nothing to do with Ireland. And then I was, then you said utopian Ireland. And I was like, um, but it's because my little niece, my, my sister wants to get for my niece a globe that has no borders mm -hmm. and she couldn't find one for under like 300 euro or something. And just to have, just to see the world without all of the borders would be nice. Mm -hmm. um, and we also talked about more practical things like instrument libraries, so that when you go mm. get a book, you could also get instruments and you could have access to arts and crafts and just have all that without having to pay for it. Um, to have green space, we talked about having intergenerational and having space that's accessible for people to socialise and to be able to walk to everything you need to. Just to be able to have your community, mm -hmm. your community needs in walking distance um, and free art as well. What else did we? Was that? I think that was everything. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, so uh, we said we basically wanted to see a more accepting and trusting Ireland. So accepting um, of people's lives, regardless of what they might look like, assuming best intent of people, trusting them to make the best decisions for themselves and society. So the results might mean less judgment of individuals along gender lines around sex and lifestyles and less regulation of pleasure in general. So we get those nightclubs for 24 hours, we get, you know, people growing weed, things like that, which need to be regulated less. Anyway, also bikes, a lot of bike infrastructure everywhere. <laughs> okay. Excellent. So we went with um, more leisure time. That was the first thing everybody wanted. Three day work week. Um, more space and homes with lots of rooms, so not just homes for all, but like really good homes. Um, obviously, Ireland is a giant organic farm with sparkling clean water and clean air. And then we wanted equality of facilities in all schools, and all schools should be mixed. So instead of being segregated, uh, they would, everybody would get to mix together from the beginning, and there wouldn't be religion in schools. That would be something you could do outside of the, of the education system. Um, so I'll probably get this wrong, so <laughs> remind me if I do get anything wrong. Uh, we were looking at, talking about utopia, and I suppose we felt that there needs to be a load of mini utopias, depending on what every community wants. So we started talking about, um, yeah, I suppose being more, more involved in the community and um, ideas, you were talking about ideas from Bray and Common Ground and do you want to talk about yeah, a few things so that happened there? Having a, a hub, a place where things can happen, like for instance training for uh, helping people with conflict resolution, for example, like nonviolent communication, or a place where people can order food together, community gardening. Uh, we, in Bray, we have our own currency um, exchange where, where people can, a things library where people can rent items that they don't have to go out and buy. Um, and you were saying um, you love the idea of a shared, a kind of community shared where you can just, you know, people can donate things. So we were talking yeah. about the needs of individual communities and what. They can do. Yeah, but I think you mentioned the things library. Yeah. A, a, someone mentioned, um, was it an instrument library? I think over over there. I think you mentioned the idea of things library as well, where you could, if you've twenty houses on the street, you don't necessarily need twenty lawnmowers or twenty hedge trimmers. You can have a system of, of borrowing. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I just want to. I want to jump in and say something, and then we'll get back to some more of these comments, because I think sometimes when we start talking about these things, we can all be like, wow, this is, yeah, that would be awesome, but uh, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, it's not going to happen, but it'd be awesome. So first of all, I want to say, at the end, we're going to give some suggestions to how to carry all this forward. But I also want to just sort of bring a, a, a note from uh, someone I think is really amazing, this comic book writer, Grant Morrison. 
Um, and Grant Morrison's written Justice League, the X-Men, all the things that, you know, we, uh, th- that we sort of take for <laughs> granted at this point. He, um, when he was a kid, his parents were anti-nuclear activists. And he said, you know, I was just always in the presence of the bomb. It was always there all the time. And then I got a Superman comic. And I looked at the Superman comic, and I heard my parents talking about the bomb. And I realized, okay, well, Superman was just an idea. But the bomb was just an idea, too, before people built it. It was in an idea space. And then people did something to draw that down into reality, to make it real. So all these horrible things that we dislike, all these structures that we dislike, the inventions, the technology, those were ideas. They exist in an idea space until somebody committed themselves to it and drew it down. So part of what's happening here is the first step of generating the ability to draw it down into being. So if at any point in this evening you're thinking to yourselves, well, these are great ideas, but how we do them, just remember all the shit that you hate was just a bad idea before somebody did it, right? So these are good ideas, and it just depends on us to figure out the ways to sort of take these nimble steps and make sure the right stones rise up to meet us as we're trying to cross the river to the other side. And like I said, we'll give some practical examples of maybe how we can take this forward. So... Like moving in with Andrea. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Be very credited. <laughs> um, so, more uh, people on this side, anybody? I feel like this side is underrepresented for some reason, yeah. Um, I was just thinking about the reality that utopia means very different things for different people. Yeah. So any version of utopia has to um, create freedom for people. Um, and I think the only way we can do that is to empower the population. And particularly, I think that we've become incredibly overly dependent on and remove, dependent on institutions and, um, bureaucracy and other things. Um, and we've lost our own agency in the process. And I think that educating the entire population on in great detail on their human rights and their human needs is the key to giving people agency and empowerment. Um, you know, if people don't know they have a right to play and they don't understand why a right to play is important, they may spend their whole lives working. Um, if people don't know how to grow their own food or clean their own water or build their own shelter, they become completely at the mercy of a very flawed housing policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that unlocking that knowledge for people will create agency, will allow communities to pull themselves together, to hold authorities to account when their human rights and needs are being denied or abstracted from them to a point that is um, unacceptable mm. um, and, and allow um, a variety of utopias to emerge and allow them to kind of evolve over time as the conditions change. Brilliant. Thank you. say something to that to that as well around like how people um imagine or or envisage or or know or learn their own rights one of the things that i've see see that happens repeatedly even over the past like decade in ireland is the fact that we are really really good at remembering and holding on to the structures that deny us liberation and freedom and mess up our lives. And we're also really quite good at forgetting the ones that don't. Mm. And what is interesting is that when we talk about, um, you know, bad ideas were just ideas and good ideas are just ideas and they can be made real or whatever you want to call that. We seem to be really, really adept at actually the minute we exercise individual and collective power in movements, for example, almost the next day, forgetting what has just happened. (laughs) And so you have this process where people organically, naturally, as individuals and communities and families and friends and areas or whatever, come together and create massive 
global change, not just Irish constitutional change or national change or whatever, create global change from what was perceived to be completely radical or that nobody was interested in. And then we do that in an unbelievably cohesive, positive, amazing way. And almost the next day, the next week or the next month, turn back to the political and economic structures and go, why are you so annoying? Why can't you do this? Blah, blah, blah. When we actually have forgotten that our capacity to move those as well, not circumnavigate them necessarily in some kind of like botch it libertarian scenario, but actually make them better has been our own individual and collective process. And in retreating back to the things that are wrong, it's like, they're never going to give us the things that we actually need. Like you're constantly, you know, going back to the empty well and go, my God, there's no water. And it's like, but you literally had a massive water tank here yesterday with all of your pals in your community who managed to do this. And obviously the insidiousness of those structures designs us to think that we don't have autonomy and we can't affect change. And, you know, it is just a massive struggle. And we all know that it's much harder to like change capitalism than it is to change a constitution and things like that. But we cannot forget the fact that the moment that we're in right now is are not just these little dots on a timeline where social change is happening in a vacuum. We are in a process of radical social revolution in this country. But it, the structures that kind of had to follow along with that don't necessarily want to name that because otherwise they would have to fess up to just being these like, you know, husks of uh, 20th century power. So yeah, knowing, knowing rights and experiences and all that, but also remembering Remembering, because the things that we have done in this country collectively and the ch internal changes that people went through, marriage equality, water protests, repeal movement and all that kind of stuff. Nobody said that they could be done. Like people said that they could just not be done, that they could not be done, that they were not going to happen, that a few people gathering at the central bank talking about gay marriage or whatever was never going to come to anything, and that abortion was the third rail of Irish politics and can never be touched, and there are literal dudes putting in the water meter in front of your gaff. <laughs> All of those things were set in stone as unmovable, and without wrecking the place, they were changed. And Alva Smith says this, said a thing that on, uh, about the eighth documentary when you were on the panel with her when it was showing, I think it was showing a BFI or some, something, an online screening or whatever. And Alva, uh, who, if people don't know her, was really a seminal and um, super important person in loads of things, particularly repeal and marriage equality. And she was asked, this is like in the height of lockdown, like, what is your proudest moment from the repeal movement or whatever? Now, obviously, you're going to think that the referendum passed and all that. And I just saw her thinking and she just said, do you know what? It's that we did it without dividing the country. Yeah. Yeah. And that occurred because we had created these empathic processes by which people could be listened to and heard. And not, unless you're a total like fundamentalist maniac who was just never going to change. Well, like, whatever, you do you in the corner and there's no point in talking to, to people in some ways if they're really, really entrenched and traumatized and all that kind of stuff. But like, that is what happened. So what else can we do? Literally nothing is off the page, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. If we can collectively do those things without ending up in a divisive situation, literally anything that people want this country to be or to happen or to do or to go away, any of the bad shit to go away, any of the good shit to happen, particularly in this moment when everybody's just been sitting going, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? We can actually do anything. And we know that that's true because we look at the radical shift that's happened in all our lives in the space of less than two years. I mean, the absolute transformation of society from something that we, well, maybe some people like Mike Davis predicted, but like that we didn't see coming or we didn't predict. And then suddenly everything is absolutely different. And so we know that that is possible and that we can kick that into motion. I mean, we have intention on our side. A virus does not. 
We have actual in, in, intention. And I think to the thing that you said where it's like, well, look, my like gay sex paradise is probably hell. Like my gay sex utopia is like total hell to someone else looking. And I don't know why, because I think it would look really good to look in on. But I, but for me, it, like I know that that would be really upsetting to some other person. They would be like, your utopia is my hell. And that's why we're talking about processes. And those processes have to lead us to compassion in one way or another. And to what Una's saying here, you know, as someone who is from, I'm from a place where gay marriage was settled by courts, and people fucking hate gay marriage in the U.S. They still hate it, and it's become an issue about rights. And so when I look here and I say, well, what is this sort of radical thing that happened here? Because not all marriage equality is created equal. Here, people went and talked to their neighbors about desire. Um, People talked to people that they knew the conversations were going to be very difficult about who they wanted, what they wanted. They talked about love. And that's a very different thing than taking to the street to force courts to make a a certain kind of decision. And so when we're looking for those fulcrum points or those leverage points for education decision, it's not the marriage part. Although that has some radical consequence on its own, actually the conversation part is the radical act that happened that provided people with meaning and connectivity. And so look in the place where we don't usually look for where the change happened and what happened within us as a result. So I think that that's one way to sort of turn that um, on its head. I think we have time for maybe one or two more um, answers, and then we're going to do our outro. Um, So, yeah. Anybody else want to give us a couple more? Yes. So, uh, one of the things we talked about is maybe how you change structures that are there already and you want to kind of make it for the better. So, this was idea was already mentioned, but we said give every child a bike so that they can cycle with their parents learn it at a young age and that maybe then they'd carry that through to adulthood for their own children or use it to cycle to work or even just to appreciate you know the health benefits and the nature that's in their own environment great that's awesome thank you one more tune yes Yeah, so I suppose we talked about like a few things. I suppose the first thing was like more public toilets was kind of voiced by everyone. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think the one thing we said was kind of to change how the educational system kind of pushes kids towards it. College is the be all and end all. It's CAO points and pushing us towards college and college. And then the majority of institutions focus on, well, you must have a degree regardless of whatever the role is. Like be it an entry level job, you must have a degree. And I think it's we need to there is changes towards, it, but we need to kind of push for it to be inclusive for all industries and not just be like, you must have a degree, you must have a degree. So to kind of change that mindset for mm. pushing it towards those educational institutions. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for overcoming the third social anxiety hurdle of speaking in public with such um beautiful uh, ideas and uh, listening to each other and taking this uh, in the spirit that it's meant to be done in. It sounds kind of simple and um, I think people kind of deride a lot of these kind of processes or conversations and often that comes from like insecurity or fear to imagine um, something something better and it is important to actually start with that thing of what do you want. one of the things that I thought was interesting before we uh, go into the exercise you're going to take with you is that an, pretty much like an awful lot of the stuff that has been talked about um, are not necessarily the things that the political and economic sphere says people want mm-hmm. or is offering. And I think that that's really interesting um, that they're not a lot of the stuff around like trains or better agriculture or the, degree fetishism or whatever like these are not things that people conceive are issues yet we have a political sphere that is really really 
struggling to conceptualise what people in Ireland are talking about when they say quality of life. And so I think that that's interesting how um, we actually kind of, when we think of simple or complex or structural or small things, that we actually know the things that would give our life pleasure and joy and that I think a lot of people will be focusing on that. I think that's quite scary if to uh, forces that don't necessarily value those things. And I also think it's why we are all going to start exerting our inner and outer utopian processes to change things for the better. So thank you for all of that. Now, before we conclude, obviously you have to continue this process out into the world. Um, and Connor, you have some thoughts on this with regards to exercises to bring with. Here's what I'd like you all to do. Just close your eyes for one second, maybe a little longer than a second. And whatever your proposition was, or one that was meaningful to you, I want you to imagine the world in which that actually exists. Okay, so just see it. If it's kids with bikes, um, giving kids bikes, then that's something, that's a concrete one. But maybe it's something more um, sort of, maybe your idea was a little more vague or whatever, but get, get into it. See that world for a minute. It's probably pretty fucking awesome, whatever it was that you came up with. Okay, so you're in that moment. And now you have to sort of think about how you got there. So roll it backwards. What was the step preceding that happening? And what was the step preceding that happening? And what was the step preceding that happening? So you've got to figure out what the steps were by going backwards. So if mine is, I I forget, you guys told me someone was talking about this. Who was it? If mine was like, I want people to be able to fuck in public. That actually, I do kind of think that that would be cool. Sorry, I know that that's some people's hell. Who did you say was talking about this? You just told me somebody was talking about it. Anyway, so. (laughs) Back me up, please. (laughs) No, I've never heard of (laughs) Anyway, no, so I, so if I, if I think that, then I have to roll it and I can sort of see it and people are like having a good time. And there is some precedent for this, right? In, in, in the U.S. Um, during the uh, time when we were involved in Vietnam War. But I would say like, let's roll this, let's roll this back. Okay. So that would mean that people would have to be able to walk around without clothes, okay. That would mean that people would have to have a good idea of sexual safety and hygiene and what that actually means and have it be based on science and rationality rather than fear and shame. That would mean that we would have to deal with our fear and shame issues. That would mean confronting sexual assault and making sure that people were safe, feeling safe. That would mean having these kinds of frank discussions in public which someone suggested, which I think is great. So you're the first step towards fucking the fucking in public anarchy <laughs> that I'm hoping for. Thank you. Um, so on and so forth. So you roll it backwards, and then eventually you're in today. And you're like, okay, we're so far from that because there are these laws, there are these attitudes, there are these dangers, there are these problems. But you see a pathway from here to there. So... That's what I would ask you to do. Take the thing that you, take that world that you want to inhabit, envision it, and then roll back each step until you're in the now, and then be like, okay, I have the first step in front of me. This is the first thing I have to go at. And it'll be a lot smaller, probably, than the giant dream that you have. But that's all it is. Everything is just one step after another after another. And sure, some of those steps are harder than others, but it's... That's how you cast the spell to change the world. My exercise for everybody to take with them goes back to what I was saying at the start in that you make a list of things that you want to go to, go back to, go forward to. They can be imaginary. I used to do this, did this thing of the pandemic where I kept writing a list of 10 imaginary parties that I wanted to go to. So it's like massive tropical beach party, but no sand somehow that's because that's annoying like an or like you know <laughs> space rave uh you know like kind of like druidy but you know and just so imagine <laughs> fantasy party MCD looking into events already <laughs> yeah, yeah, <definitely. laughs> 
Um, and that's how I started working for MCD. <laughs> so, so basically, imagine real or imagined places that you want to go to to have fun and make a list of five of them when you get home or during the week. Andrea, your exercise? My exercise is looking at how you can create the life you want to live. How do you take, break down every element of your day into making it the most joyous thing you can be doing at that moment? And how can you make that a reality? How can you make every second count? I feel very Oprah right now. Um, but <laughs> Look under your chairs. <laughs> you get a dream and you get a dream. Um, but how can we make our dream life be a reality in rea- in reality as opposed to trying to have this dream of something that's far away how can we take those elements and inject them into our processes and ways every single day so you're saying before like map what is it what was your thing that you're saying to me before like map your life or map your we both have things that you said to us before. <laughs> I've never not This is not a like, are you, Andrea? Map, yeah. Speak your truth, map, Andrea. So it's, oh, like, I don't know. Or just like mapping your your dream life or something. Maybe I use the mapping thing. But, but just like, is your thing a day thing or a life thing? I don't believe in having five-year goals because you don't know what journey it is. And then you close yourself off to the possibility of what each day will bring but if you think about what elements you can put into your day that makes them joyful because you only have today so looking to the future is silly like I'm going to have a house or I'm going to have this or I'm going to have that that is projection into a dream state what you have to do is what am I going to have in this day that is going to fill me with joy rather than what am I going to achieve or get or strive for because striving for has a role but it's actually like you have the power right now to make your life perfect the only thing left to do is thank you so much for taking the time out of your days for your ideas for your trust for your input for your conversations and for your enthusiasm participating with this thank you so much to amazing sound amazing roving mic all of the people in the concert hall um, and to Andrea and Connor and all of you. We really, really appreciate it. We're getting back into the world and we need to get into and it And Ivana Mullally, for fuck's sake. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs>